Good morning, everyone, and a very warm welcome to our Easter morning worship. It is so good to be together on today of all days. And you have really taken seriously the request to bring flowers. <laughs> if you get a chance to just have a look along, you'll find that they're one of the tiles um, that Leslie and Alistair have brought along. Um, the caption is, He is Risen, and it's some beautiful flowers that Leslie has uh, brought this morning. And Marit and Tom, so beautiful. And I see Beth's sister as well, and oh, it's just wonderful to see them all. Uh, but it's even more wonderful to see your faces. And the unexpected gift of meeting in this way is that we can be joined by family and friends from all over the country and from all around the world. I won't catch everybody because there's a huge number of us today, but I see um, Paul's sister Christine from London, and I spotted Anto from the Bahamas. Welcome, Anto. Um, I think Georgie's mum, Jill, is here from the south of England. And I definitely see Holly's mum, Colleen, and her granny, Ina, uh, both joining us from Northern Ireland this morning. And then there's Janet and Roger again. Best parents are back this Sunday. Uh, and then we're joined again by our own folk from Dunlop and from Orkney and from all around. It's just wonderful to see you all. If I haven't mentioned you, you are just as welcome. Um, and I hope that you enjoy being part of our service this morning. Our service will be led, as usual, by our minister, Katrina, and other familiar voices from our congregation. As we gathered, you heard Leo, Ailey, and Rico playing Sonata in C minor by Johann Joachim Kranz. And later in the service, Lena will be singing for us. So thank you all for bringing your gifts of music to our worship. We'll be able to sing along with ourselves recordings of previous services. And if you've got the order of service I sent out, you'll find the words of all the hymns there. Please sing along with gusto. And in those recordings, you'll hear Neil on trumpet and George on cello. And so think back to those services when we had those wonderful contributions. We'll be celebrating communion again today. So please have something to eat and drink by you when we get to that stage. It most certainly doesn't have to be bread and wine. It can be anything. So a glass of water and a biscuit or a packet of crisps, it doesn't matter. Then at 7 p.m. this evening, the Baptist Union of Scotland are again hosting a live prayer broadcast. It's on their Facebook live stream. And if you want to be part of that at 7 p.m., just go on to Facebook and type in Scottish Baptist forward slash live and you'll find it. Thank you, Anne, and thank you everybody for joining us. Happy Easter. Not the one we expected, but nonetheless, it's wonderful, really wonderful to see so many people gathered today. And in lieu of a call to worship this morning, I'm going to read a poem that comes from Australia. And it's called A Story That Changes the World. We are not eyewitnesses to an event, as were Mary and the disciples. We have not journeyed through a dangerous city to seek answers or consolation. We have not seen angels gathering at the rim of this day or wept in the garden this morning because we could not find him. But we are here to attest to a story that has not lost its power during 20 centuries of change and conflict. We are here because those before us carried this story as if it were precious gold, cherished it as if it were the key to a hidden wisdom. Sisters and brothers in Christ, take your places here today in celebration and in awe. What you are about to hear again has the capacity to change the world. Your very presence attests to the rising up of life from the tomb of despair and to the uncontrollable power of God. It is Easter morning again, and we will celebrate.
and as we become aware of being together and with our God, we are invited to say the Lord's Prayer in our own heart language and the version that is the most familiar. I don't know if anybody um, heard the Radio 4 broadcast this morning, but I had one of those slightly smug moments because the Archbishop used my words. I'm sure he thought of them all by himself, but uh, our influence spreads. So we come to God in the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is my strength and my might. He has become my salvation. I shall not die, but I shall live. And recount the deeds of the Lord. Open to me the gate of righteousness that I may enter through them. And give thanks to the Lord. I thank you that you have answered me. And have become my salvation. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it.
Our first reading comes from Mark 16, verses 1 to 8. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. But he said to them, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised, he is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. When I was a child, Easter meant getting up in the morning to discover the table was set for breakfast with one small hollow chocolate Easter egg in the place of each of us four children. We didn't get that many sweets, so the freedom to consume that chocolate just as we chose was incredible. And I have to be honest, my egg rarely lasted out the day. Then there was the Easter when I was a teenager and it snowed. In fact, it snowed so much that we built a snow rabbit. A snow rabbit as tall as I am. In my early 20s, there were two Easters where, as a relatively young girls' brigade officer, I travelled to first Finland and then Sweden to share in a house party with our counterparts from Christian youth organisations in those nations and also in Denmark and the Republic of Ireland. And there was Easter 1990 when my dad lay dying in hospital, though neither we nor the hospital knew then quite how quickly he would die. For me, the Wednesday that follows Easter is always a true anniversary of my dad's death, not the date which was the 18th of April. So one way or another, all my life, Easter has been really significant for me. I well remember the first time I was invited to preach on Easter Sunday. It was to a small congregation at Latchford Baptist Church on the outskirts of Warrington. I'd very carefully prepared what I thought was an okay sermon. <laughs> and then I woke up on Easter Sunday morning and knew I had to write something else. It doesn't happen very often, but sometimes it is so clear a new sermon has to be written. And at the end of that service, two women came to me, an older and a younger. And one of them said, I'm just so grateful for what you shared today because a close relative of mine died on Good Friday and I'm not ready to get to Easter Sunday yet. And that was hugely formative. It taught me as nothing else could that Easter Sunday, perhaps especially, but also any Sunday, we need to be aware of the context into which we speak and be alert as we can be pastorally to those to whom we are given the privilege of speaking. So yes, Easter, we can speak of hope and joy, but always tempered by a large dose of reality. Those who've been part of Hillhead for a long time will have heard me talk more than once about Easter 2001. When I was at Vicar School, as I tend to refer to it, and I spent a year working with a Roman Catholic priest in Swinton in the, the west of Manchester, Salford, technically. And 
Easter done well in a Roman Catholic church is an awesome experience. It was, it was truly. Good Friday was amazing. Saturday was achingly empty as a result. I went to the Easter vigil at night as the light candles were lit and flames and colour returned to the church. And I felt nothing. I was excluded, obviously, from the Mass because I was there as an official Baptist, not just a person who happened to have dropped in. But there was no resurrection for me. And I worried. I worried a lot. Was this the end of my faith? Was this a sign that I wasn't really meant to be a minister after all? It took a while. I did get through, obviously, because I'm here talking to you today. And those who know me well know I have a very fond relationship with the Apostle Thomas because it's his story that helped me in due course to find my own resurrection story that year. The women at the tomb in Mark's account are so incredibly real, aren't they? They are distraught. This man they love has died and they come to do the last thing they can do for him, to anoint his body. And when they get there, it's just awful. The tomb is open and the body is gone. And frankly, a young man in a white robe speaking hope into that situation doesn't do a lot for them, does it? They run away. They say nothing because they are terrified. I don't know about you, but I find that story of the four gospel endings perhaps the most helpful this year. There are no words I can speak particularly. We sit with those women bewildered confused, frightened. And yet the story is entrusted to us. And those women clearly did tell people because otherwise we wouldn't be here now. I thought about other Easter's I've shared at Hillhead. Oh, and the one that I didn't. Do you remember 2000 and... Um, 13, I think it was, I forgot to check. Um, I had prepared this all singing, all dancing, amazing all age service with fancy things I'd done with eggs and all kinds of stuff. And then I woke up ill. I came to church and couldn't take part in the breakfast. I had to go home, I had to be taken home even. I couldn't get myself home. I went to bed and other people picked up that service and I still remember Brian did my reflection, George did my all age bit, truly awesome example of what Hillhead is all about. But yeah, there are Easter's when we just can't be there for whatever reason. But there are also Easter's of amazing joy. 2011 Easter Sunday was the day I returned to work after my cancer surgery. I was still having radiotherapy. I remember joking that I had been to the Beatson to be zapped on Good Friday morning and then come to church to act out the part of Jesus in the, the children's vigil. But Easter Sunday was my official return to work. And I look back to see what I spoke about that day. And I spoke about how Peter was different, but the same. And how Jesus was the same, but, but different. We used the story of Peter and Jesus walking along the beach and that conversation they had where poor, battered, bewildered, regretful, sad, lonely Peter was embraced in Jesus' love. And it's, it's a very poignant conversation. We know the conversation. I don't need to repeat it. But I wonder if this Easter... Jesus is walking with each of us along a beach, two metres away from us, just to be on the safe side, but walking with us and talking with us and saying, it's okay. It is okay. I love you. 
And you love me. I believe that. I do believe it. And I still have work for you to do. Perhaps not today, but in the future. The experience we're going through at the moment will change us. Um, I have seen people refer to BCE and CE before the corona epidemic and the corona epidemic. Oh, I'd just like to point out, I did the BC to AD thing 10 years ago, um, so I got there first. But there is this paradigm shift. People are naming it as such already. Our world is changed forever as a result of what we are going through now. But you know what? We're still the same people. We're still the people that God loves and has created as we are. And God is still God. And our church is still our church and our faith is still our faith. And that is changed. It is transformed as a result of what we experience. But we trust that God is still God. And Jesus is risen, even if we can't make any head or tail of that. One day, this service will no doubt appear in one of my reflections on Easter. Because it is precious and special and poignant and sad and joyful and everything mixed up together. For all of us, there are seasons and times that are significant and poignant. And earlier in the week, Lena got in touch with me, said, would it be okay if I shared a song on Sunday, a song that's really significant for me? And would it be okay if I just said a few words about how I came to make the recording that we're going to use? So I'm going to hand over to Lena now just for her to share a few words, and then we will hear her singing the song. It was my memorable Easter, and it came in the middle of a, a greatest crisis that I've experienced so far. Some of you, no doubt, have had something as poignant and as of the same magnitude. Um, for some of you, it's still in the future. It's when the rug has been pulled off from, from your feet and your faith, you don't know where it is, and you cannot make any sense of the world or of yourself or anything really. It didn't happen at Easter, but close enough to Easter that I remember wondering what on earth I'm going to do with Easter Day. And I still remember reflecting on the story around Jesus being raised from the dead and all that his disciples were experiencing and seeing. I remember being able to say for the first time again, I believe in the resurrection. And that meant more than all the time when life was fine, really. And I treasure that. And I wonder whether for some of you, it will be this Easter that will be similar. And so that song, it just had to be sung. And it had to be recorded at that time. Because for me, that was my profession of faith. Of Easter that happens not in some other planet, but right here and now, in the midst of all the mess, all mess, all the hurt, all the pain, all the sin. This is where new life starts again. This is where the new blade rises. And so it's that song that I wanted to share with you. No doubt familiar to many, but perhaps heard anew in these circumstances in which we find ourselves today. Now the green blade rises from the buried grave that in dark many days has laid Love lives again that with the dead has been love. 
Prayers for others this morning have necessarily been shaped by the unique context in which we celebrate Easter this year. So let us bring our prayers for others and for ourselves. Lord Jesus, on this strangest of Easter mornings, even as we once again mark the triumph of love over hatred, we bring our prayers for those who are still living in Good Friday. For those who are in hospital. For those who are dying. For those who are grieving for family members who have died this week. The signs of new life springing up all around them in nature must seem like a cruel joke to them today. In the days to come, may they find comfort in the events of that first Easter morning when you wrestled death to the ground so that there is nowhere now that we can go no darkness we can enter, which is not God-encompassed. And this Easter morning we pray too for those who are still living in Holy Saturday. For those who feel that all that is good has come to an end. The chance to meet with family and friends to be out on the hills or at a concert. For those whose education has been cut short or put on hold, whose wedding has been cancelled, whose long planned surgery has been postponed, whose business has faltered and may yet fail, who have lost their job and can see no way back to financial stability or security. In the days to come, may they find renewed hope 
as they discover that you are still going ahead of them to the Galilee they seek. That your promise that you would be with us to the end of the age is one that can be trusted in an unpredictable world. And in our prayer diary this week, we are asked to remember politicians both at Holyrood and at Westminster struggling to know how best to save as many lives and livelihoods as possible. They bear a heavy burden. And we pray for their scientific and medical advisors, especially Jason Leach in Scotland and Chris Whitty in England as they seek to bring both scientific rigor and Christian compassion to this unlooked for task. We pray for all medical professionals and NHS support staff, including the members of our own congregation whose sense of calling leads them to risk their own lives to save others. We pray too for hospital chaplains and specifically today for Stuart Murdoch at Strathcarran Hospice as he supports staff, patients and their families at a time when the virus makes everything so much more difficult and distressing. Bless all key workers, especially those who are usually invisible to us and all faith leaders, including the national team of the Baptist Union of Scotland, may they lead by example, using the influence they have to model a Christ-like response to this epidemic. And open our minds to that wider world and the continuing work of BMS World Mission Relief Ministries. Their work is with people already in crisis because of the impact of war or natural disaster in places like South Sudan, Syria and Sri Lanka, Nepal, Mozambique and Indonesia. And now on top of all of that, they cope with the added burden of the coronavirus. We acknowledge that they who were already the most vulnerable people in our world will suffer disproportionately unless we, even at this most difficult time, when we are distracted by our own immediate needs, remember to support them with our money and with our prayers. And finally, we pray for ourselves. This week we remember Edith and Tom, and Bethany, whose university education has been disrupted. Emma and Drew, unable to move house as planned. Wendy, like so many of us, spending so much more time on her own than usual. Steve, who cares for elderly parents. Neil and Anita and Bonnie, who isn't able to be at school just now. Dr. Beth, readjusting to life in Glasgow after her time in Manchester. And Joyce and Morag, who are shielding and unable to leave their home at any time. Grant each one of them and us the ability to live each day in the light of the great mystery of Easter morning, that despite all appearances to the contrary, death has been defeated. Love has triumphed over evil, and all will be well. Amen. Our second reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 30. Now, on that same day, two of them, we're going to a village called Emmaus, 
about seven miles from Jerusalem and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognising him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, The things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Some of those who were there with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening and the day is now nearly over. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. They were so tired and upset. Cleopas and the unnamed other one maybe his spouse or life partner, possibly a friend. They were tired and upset because the festival that had meant so much to them had been utterly ruined. The man they had gone to see had been executed. Dejected, they wended their weary way home. A walk of probably around three hours. I didn't notice him to start with, the man who caught up with them and eavesdropped on their sad conversation. He didn't reject his intrusion. Actually, they welcomed this stranger who tried to help them make sense of what had been happening, what they were feeling and experiencing. And then they reached the front door, intrigued by what he was saying. And as it was getting late, they invited him to come in and join them for dinner. And then, in a moment so fleeting, in the simple everyday act of breaking and blessing bread, they glimpsed God with them. Jesus, alive and present in their home. This morning, in our homes, joined by the wonder of 21st century technology, we have each set aside something to eat and something to drink, ready to share with the invisible stranger who longs to surprise us with renewed hope and possibly even joy. So let's say a prayer. Jesus, 
risen saviour who comes alongside us in our homes this day. We thank you for the mystery of Easter and for the gift of this memorial meal that whenever we break bread together, we are proclaiming the good news until the day comes when all is made new in your eternity. Amen. So let us take whatever it is we have brought to eat and let us eat it and remember Jesus and remember that we are united. At Emmaus, it seems that Jesus didn't stick around for a drink. He left, disappeared. But we remember that on the night before he died, he took wine and said, when you drink wine, remember me. And so whatever it is we've got to drink, let's drink it, sign and symbol of our interconnectedness, but also sign that we choose hope over fear, love over hate, and life over death. Together, though apart, we are one because we share in the one hope that Christ has died, that Christ is risen, and that at the end of time, Christ will come again to take us all home. Amen.
in a few moments we will go to our coffee and chat rooms but first a blessing and one final piece of music may the transforming god of easter surround us with love strengthen us with hope and keep us in peace today and every day. Amen.